0: Okay, let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the option of acknowledging to God any unconfessed sins, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for the opportunity to be here to feed upon your Word. Your Word puts our feet on the solid rock. There's nothing but soft sand around us, human viewpoint, how great it is to learn more and more about you, to trust you, so that we can have the confidence and courage that you would have us have. So we pray that you will help us to focus this morning, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Before we get started this morning, we have someone that is a poem writer in our midst. She's written many poems, and she's handed me one this morning, and it just happens to have to do with what we're studying today. So, Margaret, if you will come up here and read this for us. This is Margaret Cassman. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't, they will. There you go. Uh, you need to take this. Let me turn mine off. Yeah. Well, do yeah, yeah, You need.
1: Okay, hold it close. Oh. <laughs> hold it close. Okay. If I if I get too loud, am I? Is that good? Okay. I call this. Teaching old dogs, of course, I'm referring to myself. But then I did get the question, you know, from Mike's sermons, does size matter? And here's the point. (laughs) You want us not to read aloud, and I try not... uh, You want us not to read ahead, as I try not to lag behind. From notes, I reread what you said. What you didn't say... I find interesting too, A foriorti may apply. Building a memorial that has lasted until now may not have taken big men. You know why? The water standing so tall, taking a bow. I foriorti. Joshua wasn't, wasn't in a hurry when he sent the 12 men back for the large stones. Not to worry, they carried them high up kind of like an empty sack. How heavy are rocks? I could pick one up if God told me to. And I do believe it. Joshua built a memorial that still mocks unbelievers. I'm not one, neither are you. I'm four I think of Jesse, proud of his every son. But when it came to giant killing, David was the one, able and willing, it takes time to study and to teach. I don't often say thanks, but I am now. Thanks, Mike. Sometimes I'm hard to reach, but sometimes I learn. You are my how, or why and how, I'm four yardie. This is to Mike, because he's bigger, and I know I'm four already.
0: What is she saying? (laughs) Oh, okay. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, By the way, if you're not familiar with a fortiori, it's a Latin term that means with greater reason that uh, many of you have heard of before. She's not speaking in tongues at the end of each line. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Margaret. All right. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Joshua chapter 4. If you've been here the last few Sundays, you'd recognize the men carrying the stones and the monuments that she was talking about. The Israelites crossed the river. Everything about that crossing was very significant. The Ark of the Covenant went before them. It stood in the middle of the water. When the priest's feet took, uh, touched the water, it receded. It stayed uh, at abeyance until they crossed on dry ground. And when they got to the other side, a curious thing happened. They took stones from, well, actually there are 12 men that took stones, one from each tribe. They took them from the bottom of the river and they made them a monument on the shore. And That you can pretty well figure out. Well, yes, that's helping them remember the crossing so that they could teach their children. And we went into great detail about The history tracks, how the monuments and the ritual and the testimony written and oral reminds us and teaches us. However, something else was done that was even more curious, and that is they went into the middle of the river where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the water was still in abeyance, still dry ground, and they made a memorial out of twelve stones in the middle of the river. Now as soon as they the priest left the river and that last foot of that last priest carrying that ark lifted up out of the water and then the water came back. I don't know how tall the monument was, how high is 12 stones. I don't know the size of the stones. But it would appear that the the river would completely cover that stone memorial in the middle of the river. So what was that all about? And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, a tale of two memorials. (laughs) Great significance in these. And we're going to see at least three things as to what these memorials could illustrate. First of all, it could illustrate the nation of Israel. When they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, they were under a curse. They were under punishment. Every one of the people who were over 20 years old died because they refused to cross the river when God had given them the land. And it goes to underscore and emphasize the importance of trusting the Lord. He was very put out, to say the least. He was angry. In fact, he was going to wipe them off the map completely. He's going to annihilate them. And Moses stood up and and just reasoned with God. He said, if you do this, then the Egyptians are going to say you couldn't really get them into the land. And so God decided that He would not annihilate them, but they would not cross the Jordan. They would go into the wilderness and wander for 40 years. And every one of those that were 20 above that were refusing to trust God would die. Now we have a new generation that came, and they trusted the Lord. They crossed the river. And so what we see is with the memorial that is sitting on the land, that would represent a nation that was reborn, that came out of the death, as it were, in the wilderness, and now has been resurrected to a national status whereby they are right with God. They're no longer under curse. So that has significance in that fashion with regards to the monument. Another thing that it illustrates is the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about that crossing illustrated the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried and then he was resurrected. Well, they took the stones that were in the middle of the, of the Jordan. And they what did they do? In the middle of the Jordan, remember, this would be certain death. If God did not hold the water back the whole time, when the people were crossing and the water cut loose, they would all have drowned. That's why I like in Margaret's poem, she was talking about uh, Joshua took his time. When they they crossed the river, uh, Joshua was trusting the Lord so much, he said, let's go out and uh, get 12 men. They go out there and they make a memorial out in the middle. I don't know how long it took. Joshua wasn't worried about God could only hold it back so long. Uh, He understood that if you could get the water to do that, you could hold it back as long as you wanted. He trusted the Lord. And so what this does is illustrate Christ in that these stones were in the place of death and they were put on the bank and they had to go up the bank, which is an illustration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's two illustrations of what these monuments meant. And the third illustration is that the stone memorial represented the unique spiritual life of the church-age believers, which includes positional death and resurrection. This is where we're going to go this morning. And to help us along, we're going to see, if I can bring it up here, if I can get it. Yeah, here it is. We're going to bring up a little diagram there. So we see that we have two monuments. One is in the middle of the river. The other one is on the bank. I'm looking for my laser pointer here, and it's nowhere to be found. Okay, I'll just have to do the best I can. The one on the left represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ, came up out of the water, and we have something there called current positional truth, and then you have the stone memorial in the middle of the Jordan, and that's called retroactive positional truth. At least that's something that you could call it. And what is retroactive positional truth? Now these are doctrines that most people, I, I would dare say that probably only, I, I don't know what the ratio would be, one out of a 500,000 may have even heard this term, or less, maybe one in a million. I don't know what it is. But it's a term to show what that, that stack of rocks, that memorial in the middle of the river is all about. Now, we could gloss over this and just go right on past, but we would miss some things that are very significant. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Because it's going to tell us something about this retroactive positional truth. If you don't have your Bible, you can look up here. I have two laser pointers. Maybe oh. Ah, this isn't the one I was looking for, but it'll do. Okay, Romans chapter six, verse three. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized unto, uh, unto Christ are uh, into Christ? I want you to underline that phrase, very important. That's what it's all about. That's what this monument is about. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Two things I want you to note about this. First of all, it doesn't have anything to do with water. You say, yeah, but you're talking about being in the middle of the Jordan River? But it was dry. They weren't wet. They weren't even close to getting wet. This is not referring to water baptism. Make sure you understand that. And the word baptized here comes from baptizo. Unfortunately, it was not translated. It was transliterated, which means they just took the letters in the Greek and put them into the English as close as they could. And probably the great majority of people, when they see that that, that word, what do you think they're thinking of? Water. No water here. Forget water. It's no water. It means identification. They were identified with Christ is what happened. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism, through identification into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Now, whatever those rocks were stacked up there for, whatever this baptism into Christ Jesus And us being identified with his death. Whatever that's talking about, we have here in the bottom line, right here, the purpose. So that we too might walk in newness of life. You with me so far? Okay. Verse 5. For if, and this is a first class conditional clause. In the Greek, you can tell more precisely what the if is. In English, there's only one if. Maybe yes, maybe no. First class conditional clause in the Greek is is saying you could you could say instead of if you could say for since this means it's true for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death and we were how did we become united with him in the likeness of his death because we went An identification, we went under an identification called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It took place the moment that you believed in Jesus Christ. So it's not for if we were, it's since we were. For since we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Christ died, did He not? And if we're identified with Him in His death, which we have been then certainly we're going to be identified with Him in His resurrection. Knowing this, look, I love how many times the Bible says knowing. Don't you know this? Know this. I did a word search one time. I put feeling in there as opposed to knowing. I think there was only one, maybe two verses in the whole Scripture that I could find with regards to feeling. Knowing you can fill pages with the Scriptures. There's tons of knowing. And this verse is about knowing. Now, if you're feeling, it's okay. Don't feel guilty if you feel emotionally aroused. That's perfectly fine. But that's not what the Christian way of life is all about. God really isn't all that interested in whether you feel emotionally stimulated or not. He is very inter- interested in what you know. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, that our body of sin might be done away with. Now, that word, done away with, is uh, uh, kotargeo, and it means rendered useless or ineffective. Now, what is that talking about, the body of sin? It's talking about your old sin nature. We all have a sin nature. And you can sit there in your Sunday clothes, and you smell good, some of you, and... You can, you can smile and be just as angelic as possible, but you have an old sin nature. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We are saved sinners. And we're always going to be sinners. Now let's start back again. Right? Verse 5, For since we have become united with Him the likeness of His death, how did that come about? through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When did that take place? At the moment of salvation. What does baptism mean? Identification. We were identified with Christ in His death. So since we were identified with Him in His death, certainly we'll be identified or be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Now, knowing that, now we're going to take a step further. Now we have something to build on. We can understand that that goes on. Knowing this that our body uh, excuse me, knowing this that our old self was crucified. Old self, underline that and just put OSN, old sin nature. Your old sin nature was crucified with him. But none of us were born when Christ went to the cross, were we? So our old sin nature this says, but your old sin nature was crucified with him. You have to get your head around this concept, this idea. We're talking about what we normally call a positional situation, or you could say a legal situation. Legally or positionally, when Christ died on the cross, according to what this says, He did it for because our old, for our old sin nature was crucified with Him, that our body of sin might be done away with. Now, done away with, you can just mark that out or just put... Uh, became useless, inactive, ineffective. You still have an old sin nature. But the moment you believed in Jesus Christ and you were baptized by the Holy Spirit, which means you were, uh, we are identified with Christ, something happened. You didn't feel it. You didn't even know that it occurred. But God wants you to know something significant happened. And this is what He's showing you in Romans chapter 6, And it's also why that stack of rocks was built in the middle of that river so that you will know something significant happened when you were identified with Christ's death. And the Bible says, and I'm not going to argue with it, says that our old sin nature, our old self, was crucified with Him. Here's why. That our body of sin might be done away with. Again, that means rendered ineffective that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Every unbeliever, every unbeliever is under complete dominance of their old sin nature. They can produce only two things, sin and human good, good that is not acceptable to God. See, God isn't interested in you trying to impress Him. You can't impress Him. God is only impressed with what He can do. And people who have been born again, who have been baptized by the Holy Spirit, no water, identified with Jesus Christ, they have retroactively had their old sin nature crucified on the cross for the purpose that we're no longer a slave to sin. We can produce something now that no unbeliever can, and that's good, that is acceptable to God. And the reason it is, is because as a believer, we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have the potential to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit as believers, we can produce divine good. And we can also, we have a power beyond our own that we can refuse to yield to the temptation to sin. You got that? You know what that means? It means the absolute power of sin over your life was broken. It was broken at the cross. Why? So that he who has died, who is the one that died? Well, Christ died, but we're in Christ because of the identification, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you died to sin. When Christ went to the cross retroactively, and he who has died is free from sin. If you go to a corpse, and that corpse is stiff as the board, what is one thing you can say with complete certainty? That person cannot sin. Isn't that true? Well, that's what you're like as far as your old sin nature is concerned. Your old sin nature can no longer have absolute sway, and you don't have a choice. Well, I'm either going to do good that's motivated by my own picayune, asinine ideas of what's going to please God, or you can sin. Now, you do sin, but you don't sin because the devil made you do it. The devil can't make you do anything. You sin because you still have an old sin nature. It is our nature to sin. We like to sin. We love to sin. Don't we? Just tell somebody that they can't have something. That's what God did in the garden, isn't it? He said, you do anything you want to, you're all fine, 100%. Only, don't eat of this tree. And... And they didn't even have an old sin nature. Now, if they could not, I don't know how long it was. Could have been a week, could have been a month, could have been 50 million years. I don't know how long it was. But eventually they succumbed. Are you getting this? Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. By the way, that was talking about the stack of rocks that was in the middle of the river. Now we're looking at the stack of rocks that is on the shore having been buried with Him in baptism. When were you buried with Christ in baptism? Now, I want you to go to that verse. and I want you to go back to Romans 6 in a minute also. And every time you see this word on the verses that I'm giving you, I want you to write right beside it, dry. Baptism, dry. Or you could put real. Or you could put real and dry. Or you can put dry and real because those are the same. I want you to get the point because most people, when they go through these verses, they see baptism and they see only one thing, H2O, and it's not there. They, that's why the people say, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Say, They go to these kind of verses. There are more verses in the New Testament that have these Dry baptism, this real baptism, than they do the wet ones. Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through the faith in the working of God. Now, let me ask you something and see if you're getting this. When were you buried with Christ? When were you risen with Christ? At the cross. That didn't go so loud. At the cross. (laughs) When Christ was buried, you were buried because you're identified with Him. When when He rose, you rose. In a legal sense and in in, in a sense that is positional also. It's the same thing. Having been buried with Him in baptism, which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. Now, this isn't real easy for some people to understand. And if you're still slogging through the water baptism bit, just erase it. It's not there. This has nothing to do with that. This has to do with the great truth that God has given us. And we have such a wonderful God that way back there when the Israelites crossed the Jordan and they went back there and made another stag of rocks in the middle of the Jordan, It wasn't because God had to have so many words in that chapter, so He had to fill in for them to do something. That doesn't happen. Great significance, as you'll see. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You heard that before? That's a couple of verses down from where we are here. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, all these verbs here are in the passive voice. That means it's what God has done for you. You don't do anything. The only thing you've done is have faith, believe in Jesus Christ. So even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were unbelievers, God made us alive with Christ. Of course, all this is by grace. Made us alive, is in the passive voice. And raised us up with Him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I know one thing for sure. Y'all are not experientially sitting up in heavenly places this morning. You're in Country Bible Church. I'm pretty sure of that. But legally, positionally, you're already there. That's how certain it is because you are identified with Jesus Christ in His death, His resurrection, and where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we are there legally, positionally, and someday we will be there experientially. Turn to this one, very important verse. I want you to go to this one. First Corinthians twelve thirteen. This is talking about a spirit baptism, and you're, it's very rare to to find anyone, even in churches, talking to Christians, that knows that there is a spirit baptism. First Corinthians twelve thirteen For by one Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. We were all baptized. We were all. See, he's talking, this had already taken place. This isn't some goal that you try to reach, and when you reach a certain level of spiritual maturity, then you get the ghost, you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then you can speak in tongues, and now you're really on your way. I was going to tell you where they're on their way to, but I'm not. For by one Spirit we were all baptized at the moment of salvation into one body. Verse 10 tells you that it's talking about the body of Christ. We were all, and this word baptism means what? Identified. For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized at the moment of salvation into one body where the Jews are Greeks, where the slaves are free, And we were all made to drink of one Spirit. These verbs are also in the passive voice. God does all this for us. It doesn't matter what your race is, what your social standing is. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It doesn't even matter if you don't know if you're male or female. You got confused and you had a, a sex change. It even covers those people. A star start by that verse. When people have, ask you, have you been baptized? You can answer that a lot of ways. You know what they're saying. Have you been dunked in water? And you can say, oh yes, absolutely. I was baptized by the Holy Spirit when I believed in Jesus Christ. And watch their eyes go cross-eyed, having a clue what you're talking about. And they're judging you. <laughs> You haven't been dunked. They don't call it dunked. They call it baptism. But, And they want to disparage you and cast doubt on whether you're even saved. And you ask them, when you say, yes, I've been baptized, I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, look at the blank expression on their face. And then you can start to explain to them, oh, you don't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You don't know if there's a Spirit baptism? that doesn't involve water, and then when you have them on their heels and they're really reeling, say there's four different kinds of those baptisms. In fact, there's seven altogether. Woo! Some of you are looking at me like, woo! (laughs) A real baptism refers to a transformation that takes place when a person is identified with something or some, someone or something else, and he is changed by that identification. That's the main thing. Something really happens. I wish I'd put it here. I didn't. dry. No water involved in this. Four of them in the Bible. four different times. You have that? A ritual baptism is a ritual that identifies a person with water that is symbolic of something else. However, no real change takes place. So anybody who wants to get dunked in water, have at it. I don't care if you get dunked every Sunday. You can do it. And you'll get wet. Maybe that will moisturize your skin. I don't know if that's about the only change that's going to take place. I said that one time and people, whoo, we had some people visiting and they got up and left right in the middle of it. And everybody was going, uh, uh. I, if they'd just stuck around, they would have they would have learned the difference between a real and ritual baptism. The baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, and get this. You are permanently identified with Him, permanently, no matter what. You are already seated in the heavenlies, positionally or legally, and the the old sin nature, the power of the old sin nature has been broken. And now you sin, not because you have no choice. You have an alternative now that you didn't have before. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have a human spirit. How about that? Huh? This thing about the spirit is bonkers. It is so convoluted. People, are you spiritual? Are you a spiritual person? Well, I am when I've confessed my sins. When I acknowledge my sin, I am a spiritual person because I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I am being influenced by the Holy Spirit, and I am empowered. Get this to not sin. I don't have to sin. Does that mean we're going to be sinless? Nope. Look at that. No fear, victory over death. That's what that stack means. Do you understand? What does this stack represent? What is it? They were taken in here, the place of death, and they were... They had to rise up over here and put a stack. What is that? Resurrection. No fear. That means you have no fear of death. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the rock. He already went through the Jordan. He already was killed, buried, and he's already been resurrected. And we are identified with him from those verses. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that means that we have victory over death and there's no. No fear. This bottom stack here, victory over the power of sin. That's what we were reading in Romans 6. Your old sin nature, which you will, you will not get rid of until you have a resurrection body. I used to go around with guys that get shed of something. Ever heard of that? I want to get shed of this old sin nature. Well, you're going to get shed of it or get rid of it when you have a resurrection body. So, don't go, remember, uh, who was it? Uh, Flip Wilson. Was he the one that said the devil made me do it? He was a good entertainer, but he's a bad theologian. Okay, let's see if you have this. Why do we have these victories? Why do we have victory over death? Why was that stack, that memorial, put on land? Why was that one put down in the, in the river? Why do we have these victories? Because we are, are you ready? In Christ. And why are you in Christ? Because you have been permanently identified with Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's what that baptism is. Now I have already I have it loaded in here, right in this box right here. I've got the seven baptisms and I can show you, but I'm not going to do it because I got I'm not through with what I'm doing now. Okay, how do I get rid of this? All right, now I want you to uh, the last few minutes that we have. I'm going to give you I think it's ten points. On the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Ten points. I'm going to put it up here so you can see the notes. Number one union with Christ. This is facts about being in Christ. Union with Christ is a fact, not an experience, it's not something you feel. When you're born again, when you believe in Jesus Christ, how you feel is of no consequence. Now, some people are weeping. some It's a big thing for some people emotionally. For some, it's just, well, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I, I believe that. Boom. How much, by the way, how much emotion does it take to make your faith valid? That just came out of thin air. I just thought of that. But it's a provocative question, isn't it? You know what the answer is? Zero. You don't have to be emotional for your, your, your faith to be valid. There's only one thing that is necessary for your faith to be valid, and that is for it to go to the right object, and the right object is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, number, oh, it has nothing to do with emotion or how one's feeling. Number two. Union with Christ is a fact for all church-age believers, spiritual or carnal. 1 Corinthians 1, 1.2, 1 Corinthians 1.11, and 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4 Right now, I hope that I'm looking at a bunch of spiritual church-age believers. Because if I am, woo, that's a powerhouse. Not because you're powerful, but because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is omnipotent. But what if there's some carnal believers in here? What if there's an unbeliever in here? If the unbeliever's in here, sorry, you just need to listen to the gospel at the end. But if you're a carnal believer, if this has been boring to you, and you can't get a head around it, and you're thinking about, let's see, did I, how many times did I baste that pot roast? Ah, let's see, and your mind is wandering; it's all over the place. Does that mean that the baptism of the Holy Spirit really didn't take? How, how, how long do you need to be in carnality before you're no longer in Christ? What did I say? It is permanent. It doesn't matter what you do the worst believer that ever came along, and you probably have that one already picked out in your mind who that is, even that one, if he is in Christ because he believed in Christ, then he's still in Christ. How long are you going to be in Christ? Forever. Isn't that great? Number three, the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred for the first time on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, and you compare that or confer that with uh, Acts eleven fifteen and 16. Therefore, it is unique to the church age believers. The believer's position in Christ makes him a new creature in Christ. This stuff that we're talking about here, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what we're seeing in Romans and Colossians, uh, and now in Acts, all these things that happen... No one in the Old Testament ever had even an inkling of these things. And the horrible thing is that now God has done all these things for us. They are a reality. And He has revealed them in His Word. And how many believers know anything about it? How can you have appreciation for all these great things that God did for you if you don't know them? People don't want to sit down and concentrate. It's hard to concentrate. Let's just get in here and have an emotional orgy. Let's get the lights cranked up. Let's get the music cranked up. Let's do the, do the whole bit. It's what you know that is going to make you appreciate God. Number Oh, here's the verse for it. I said, The, believer, the believer's position in Christ makes him a new creature. Second Corinthians 5 17, therefore, if, there's that if again, and it is a first-class condition, which you could translate as to what? Yep, true, or since. Therefore, since any man is in Christ, if any man, and and he, he was talking to believers, so it's true, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. And what is the old things that passed away? Condemnation, spiritual death, the control, absolute control of the Holy Spirit. When you think of the absolute control of the Holy Spirit being broken, you can think of Romans 6, how we have been identified and buried with Christ. The old man has been crucified. These are things that have, and the absolute control, of the old sin nature is broken. Think of it If nothing else, think of that stack of rocks in the middle of the river that nobody could see. And why it's so important. And the new things have come. Eternal life, imputed righteousness, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. These are a few of the things that God does for us at the moment of salvation. And you don't feel any of them. They are not about feelings. They are about instructing us as to what God has done. And again, if you want to have feelings, that's all right. But don't base your eternal destiny, or if you were truly saved, on your emotions. What is our salvation based on? How do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved, you're eternally saved, your ticket to heaven is guaranteed? How do you know that? Because the Bible says it. Because this is God's revealed Word. And anybody wants to contradict that, let them box with God. They don't have a problem with you, they have a problem with God. Union with Christ is not progressive. It cannot be improved upon. We receive it in total at salvation. We are identified with Christ. And the moment that you believed in Jesus Christ, you I, probably, at least I hope, you weren't near as, as spiritually mature as you are now, but you don't get it in, in steps. It's not progressive. It's total. Number six, union with Christ is not commanded by God. And the reason is that given at God at salvation nowhere will you find the command to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Why? It's not a command because it's automatic when you believe in Jesus Christ after the day of Pentecost, boom, you are in Christ. Number 7. The union is permanent, it will never be taken away. It does not depend on on our faithfulness. It depends on the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of His Word. And if He is not true to His Word, then let's all just burn our Bibles. Let's go out and what what did Paul say? You remember? We might as well just go out and uh, party hardy. He didn't say it in those words, but that's essentially what he meant. It is a guarantee of eternal security. Romans 8, 38-39, 1 John 5, 11 through 12 Romans 8, 1. All these are guarantees. The guarantee of eternal security. How do you know that you're saved? Because the Bible says so. One other question I'm going to ask you in the very last in just a moment. Union with Christ makes the believer perfect in the sight of God, Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Some people say, oh, well, that's uh, teleo or teleo, which comes from telestai. It is finished. It means to be completed. But it also means perfect. And here it means perfect. In God's sight, positionally, legally, we are Perfect. We are perfect because we are, all right, one more time. We are perfect because we are, in Christ. okay, in Christ. Okay, that's, well, I only had nine. And that's uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 and 28. I hope you all got those. You don't, I can send them to you. Okay. Um, We're just about right at the end. You see the importance of the monuments now? You begin to see what God had for us Can you appreciate that you have been liberated from the slavery of your old sin nature and now you can do that which is pleasing to God? You can obey Him and that you will never, ever, ever be anything but in Christ. I hear jokes all the time, you know, about uh, uh, being at the pearly gates. I like those jokes. I think they're funny. But on a serious note, The only way any of us are going to cross those pearly gates is because we are in Christ. We're identified with Christ. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, you are in Christ. Next Sunday, we're going to go into chapter 5. I'd love to just go another hour. Chapter 5 is, it just knocks your socks off. Actually, chapter 5 starts with the second verse of chapter 5. But we're going to start with the first verse, which goes with this, if that makes sense to you. Okay, I would like everyone now, please, to close your eyes and bow your heads. Now, the reason I do this is because I want there to be privacy. It helps you to concentrate. Nobody's going to be gawking at you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or walk an aisle or anything like that. All I want you to do is consider the information. Consider all the things that we said this morning and how great our God is and what He wants to do for you and how when you believe in Jesus Christ, God gives you His own righteousness. You can't improve on that. So anyone that might be here or anybody on the Internet that is listening to this, I hope you will consider the fact that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was absolutely perfect, sinless. He died on the cross and was buried. And we found out today we were buried with Him legally our positionally. And He rose from the grave, which we have already done positionally or legally. And now He offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him. And listen to this, Him alone for it. There's no, no other name given among men whereby we must be saved is Jesus Christ. It's not of our works, it's His work. In a moment of time, you can decide, I'm going to choose Christ. I'm going to trust in His work, rather than my own, in order to have this so great salvation. In that moment, you are born again, and all these things that we're talking about will happen to you. You won't feel them, but you know they happen because God's Word It's His revelation to us on things otherwise we couldn't understand. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We love Your Word. And we love You because of who and what You are. We pray that You will challenge us to dig deeper so that we can appreciate You all the more. And we pray all this in Christ's Most High and Holy Name. Amen.